Hello, gentlemen, to the Laughing Monkey Music Show. Lauren and Ron, how are you guys doing today from Little Caesar? Good, Sean. How are you doing? You're doing excellent. Excellent. So we're going to touch base and kind of get a little brief history so that, so any new people aren't aware of you guys can kind of get back history of you, and then we'll kind of take it all the way to where we are now. And you, got, and you have an exciting streaming thing coming up. So um, let's let's start the, the beginning with the band. You guys were the two original guys, and it was like one of the drummers still original too at this time, I believe, right? Correct. Yeah, Tom Morris. Yeah, okay. Um, formation, what, what got you guys started? Like, how'd you guys all get together from the beginning? Well, I was in a band with Tom previously, and we wanted to, it was kind of fading out, so we decided we wanted to, you know, put, uh, you know, at the time, the big music was, in L.A., was big, poppy, hair metal kind of bands, yeah. and we wanted to do more of a rootsy, uh, blues-based, soul-based, R&B-based, you know, like the roots of rock and get away from the pop fluffy thing. Plus, none of us really look good as women with our hair teased and lipstick. So we decided to put a little more blue collar down to earth kind of rock band together. And um, I was working the door at Club Lingerie. So I met Apache and I don't know, uh, Tom knew Fidel. Fidel was long friends with Lauren. So we all just kind of got together and, and you know, we, it clicked really quick because we were all like-minded, you know, sensibilities and, and our roots and what we had passion for. And, you know, the next thing you know, we started to do a couple of shows. And since I was working the door at a couple of, of the better clubs in L.A., I had connections to the booking agents. And nice. within a couple of shows, we got, you know, got people throwing contracts and stuff at us. Really? That quick? Yeah, it's really. I, I think the problem is, though, I, you know, and you guys will probably agree or disagree. I'll, my opinion is, you guys didn't fit in the genre. You guys had a different sound. Oh no, no, and, and, and they, they couldn't package you. They, they couldn't package you. I think maybe the closest thing in not comparing to would be like a Circus of Power, more of a you know earthy yeah. sound Circus without being power, you know, raging slab. Yeah, <laughs> yeah raging slab. Oh yeah, raging slab. I didn't even thought of that. But yeah, it's more of an earthy sound. It's not so much worrying about everything else and. um those guys weren't marketed well either. <laughs> yeah, you know, the thing is, it's funny because I was just thinking about this laying in bed the other day because for some reason we were reminiscing about our history. And, you know, my biggest regret is was to not kind of getting guys, you know, because we were managed by Jimmy Ivey, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the hugest guys in the music business. And, you know, in retrospect, I really wish that we would have just stood up for ourselves and asked Jimmy to to step in and not uh, let us get sucked into the flavor of the day. You know, market us as just a straight ahead rock band and produce us like a straight ahead rock band. Yeah. You know, we went up there and worked with Bob Rock and all of a sudden he started to stick his fluff meter on us and, you know, uh, trying to compete us. And in retrospect, the sound of the record versus the way the band looked, there was immediate dichotomy and that didn't really help us, you know? What was interesting, the band that they signed, you know, that they liked everything about us, that earthy kind of working class hero, blue collar approach, mm -hmm. blues based rock, then they wanted to start changing it, you know? It, the, you inter know the interesting thing was, is when we were trying to pick a producer, you know, we were throwing out names like, you know, Tom Dowd, Ned Stasium, and, you know, guys that really know how to make just a straight ahead rock record and how to track record of that. And 
our A and R guy was John Kalodner. So you know, this is a guy who's got a bigger ego than any band that he worked with. And I hear his name on this show more than I hear my own name at this point. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty pretty funny we got sucked into that whole drama. But you know, the, the thing was is like. You know, when we sat down with Bob Rock, we said, listen, we want to make a very straight ahead, very honest, very, you know, not overproduced rock record and let the, mm-hmm. let the personality of the band come through. And he was down with that. We go to Vancouver, we start recording like that. And like uh, three, four weeks into recording the record, his Motley Crue, Dr. Fielder, goes to number one. Uh-huh. And all of a sudden, right then and there, we felt it change like overnight. We went from you know, making a little Caesar record to making a Bob Rock record. And I was calling back to LA going, hey, all of a sudden we're doing tons of overdubs and this keyboard parts and, and it's getting really out of hand. And, you know, listen, we, we kind of fell asleep at the switch. And at the time we didn't have anybody in there monitoring it or looking out for us. And they were just figured, hey, it's Bob Rock. He's got a number one record. Don't, don't, you know, what do you guys know? And I'm like, well, we know the music. We know where we're coming from. But we, you know, like I said, hindsight's twenty twenty. You know, so it's hard though because, like, I, if they didn't do you that way, I, you know, would you have come across to a lot of other fans, even though you now would you even made it because the market was metal. So if they if they underdid you, you would have even gotten seen. You know what I'm saying? You know, it's, it's hard. Um, it's hard because I remember listening. To you, I guess, like I was saying, I remember going to college for production. I'd be listening to your tape on the way to school and stuff, and you know, and some of your ballads were not ballads. You know, like I wish it would rain and stuff like that. So heartfelt. But yeah, they're really, just sort of mid-tempo, you know, yeah. mid-tempo rock tracks that were still holds this day. You know, but the thing is, is you have a band that looks like a bunch of tattooed axe-murdering bikers, and then you start doing songs like "Wish It Would Rain" from the start in your arms, and then you make it really slick for people that don't know. We're not on the inside, but they look yeah. at the picture and they're expecting Motorhead, and they're getting something that's kind of really heartfelt and and bluesy and soulful. That certainly didn't help us, but there was that was a, the tip of the iceberg on our story of demise because of the battle of egos and the timing of everything. So, you know, just classic music business, everything that could go wrong, did go wrong kind of thing. You know, we're no different than thousands of other bands. <laughs> so when you get that first album, did you guys get to tour at all a little bit? Like some big bands? I mean, because don't forget, I mean, Grunge came around that time too, so that also didn't help you. Right. Yeah, Lauren, you want to tell them about our early touring days? Yeah. Um, well, the album came out, I believe, Ron, uh, I think June of 1990, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, so we did go out uh, on the Kiss Hot in the Shade tour with, uh, it was Kiss and Slaughter yep. and Caesar. We did maybe six weeks out there on that, doing a huge arenas, Midwest, back East. I missed you. I saw I saw the tour. I think you weren't playing at that point. It was um, God, like Danger, yeah. Danger, Danger, Danger. I think we were playing it at some point. You were not the one on the tour when I saw Kiss in Atlanta for that tour. Yeah, that well, we didn't make it. We didn't make it down in the south. We did six weeks with them, and then we jumped off and, and did a whole bunch of club dates for a long time. And uh, it, it, that was another interesting thing because we were out with Kiss, and you know, originally the tour was Kiss, Winger, and Slaughter. Mm-hmm. And Winger dropped off to go finish off their record because uh, rec- the, the label rejected it. They wanted another single. So we got stuck on the tour. You know, Jimmy got us on there. And it was funny because we go out there and because Winger dropped off, ticket, ticket sales went in the toilet. 
and Gene and Paul were freaking out. So, you know, so we're out there and within like a week, word comes back that Winger had a song, they recorded it, the label liked it, they're ready to go back out. So Gene wanted to get us off the tour. So we get them back out and he called it Jimmy. And again, this is one of my most favorite things that anybody's ever said. And it's just classic Gene Simmons. He told Jimmy that we were going over like pork chops at a bar mitzvah. <laughs> I think is just a classic rock and roll line. That's so Gene Simmons. Fact of the matter, I mean, this is pre-internet days. Yeah. So we're getting rave reviews from all the reviewers that are coming down saying that we're this great, honest rock and roll band. And we really, really knocked it out of the park. And we really played well and everything. But that took three weeks for that press to get back to LA in print form, you know? So whatever, you know, but just, just pretty funny, you know? They're scaring the kids with their tattoos, right? Ron? Yeah. They're scaring the kids with their tattoos. Gene Simmons used to come backstage every night and critique our show, trying to be helpful. You know, he was really nice. And he was like, you know, what, what's with the goatees and, you know, you go out there and talk about how your job sucks and all this. That's not what these kids want to hear about. And we, we used to have real artistic debates about, you know, uh, you know, these sort of topics. And funny thing is, is like maybe six weeks later, I bumped into Gene Simmons and he's grown a goatee. You know, remember yeah. this was, I had a goatee. I was the first guy to have a goatee. I was like, actually, yeah. yeah, before Chris Cornell and all these, right before all those bands came out. And there's Gene with this stupid looking goatee on his face. And I, I gave him a lot of crap for it. I was like, oh yeah, 70s rock band. Huh? What happened there, Gene, you know? <laughs> you know, to his credit though, like Ron said, um, there was a lot of chats and Gene would be on the side of the stage taking notes and he'd always come in the dressing room going, don't do this song, turn your set order around stop running around like chickens with your head cut off in an arena you got to do everything slower and so you know yeah, really good, good input really good input. yeah i mean in this in the music business and it's so cutthroat nobody tells you shit so it was cool that he was you know giving us some guidance and all so that is cool you know unfortunately i, th I think if you guys were to say it generationally, you guys would have been a more of a seventies, eighties slow burn band. We could yeah, do, that's, you know, that's that's what we it would have been. <laughs> would have been, you know, but it would have been like you know, build an album, build an audience, do an album, build. You know what I'm saying? That would have been the trajectory that I would have thought. Yeah, that, to again, build like a, yours would have been. You, yeah, you to, build. to build a catalog, and you know, right. we weren't we weren't in that formula of rock track ballad. You know, that's all. It's on the record. They push it. You know, we, we had a, a quote-unquote deep record. You know, we were an album band. We weren't mm -hmm. a singles band. And you know, like I said, it, it, it just the perfect, you know, when, when we, our record came out, within three weeks, David Geffen sold the label. Our records weren't even available in the stores. They were sitting in Warner Brothers warehouses, and we moved to BMG. And our label manager got fired for indiscretions. And... It was just, the, and then they, since they sold the label, they brought in this new marketing manager that wanted to cut everybody's budgets because they had to show a profit for the Japanese that bought the label. And it was a perfect storm within four weeks. And back then, that's pretty much all you got it was four to six weeks to really hit it out of the park or they moved on. Yet, meanwhile, we came out of the back stronger than Black Crows, all these other bands. Yeah. But the expectation level because of Jimmy Iovine and John Collabier and Bob Rock was, we'd be platinum in a week. And meanwhile, the band is going, no, man, we got to build this thing slowly. We got to, 
you know, put out some singles and go out and tour. And, you know, if we can do a few hundred thousand units, which we did, we did like 280,000 records in, in like six weeks. And to them, they thought that was a failure. And it's like any other band that would be considered a great start. But yeah. they dropped us like a hot, you know, like a hot coal because they just felt it was, you know, wasn't going the way they want. And there was too much, um, you know, too much scrutiny on the band. Why did a Jimmy Ivy band, fan, fa you know, fail? You know, meanwhile, we were on the charts. It's like, but it's just all of the sort of inside record company stuff that was really kind of uh, very bizarre and typical and upsetting, you know. Yeah, it is. Expectations, I think, too, like on the heels of, you know, they had definite signed Guns N' Roses and and that took, you know, they actually had to A&R that, I guess. I don't know. It took a yeah, they released time. that. They released, um, I think it was Welcome to the Jungle like three times. Yeah, it was, it was like, like eight months hard. sitting out there, I think, before they even started to get any play. Yeah, on that yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was really because I'm friends with Alan Niven, who was their manager at the time. Mm -hmm. He was telling me stories. It's like... He, he, he had to bash them over the head as to what they were holding on to. And then after the fact, they act like as if they were clairvoyant and saw it from day one, and they didn't. You know, they had to be coerced into it, you know, so. Yeah, it's crazy because you guys did have, like, you know, there was a lot of bands that had the, more like the bad boy tattooed image, and that's, that wasn't even an image, that was who you guys were. Yeah. You know? That was your look, that's just who you guys People were. People used to think we were the roadies when we load up into a show. They'd be <laughs> like, you know, and we'd be like, no, we're the band. They'd be like, oh, okay. And we get on stage, we're in the same thing we rolled in on the bus in. And, you know, at the time, that was kind of strange. We didn't understand. It's like, you know, dude, we, we ride motorcycles. We wear jeans and leather jackets. We're just, this is who we are. This isn't a get up. You know, this isn't, a, you know, we're not trying to convince you that we're hanging out with strippers and hookers and living this glamorous Hollywood lifestyle. Just a bunch of dudes that, that you know, ride bikes and live this stuff and breathe it. And, you know, it is what it is. There's no pre pretense to it. So you guys went from that album and you did the Bad Influence, right? Influence, yeah. Influence, yeah. Influence. I'm sorry, why do I think of Bad Influence? Bad. So a, from there. It's a bad, we were Bad Influence. Bad Influence, right? <laughs> the, um, that's actually was it the end of the label actually you already put on your label by the time right you already been switched i know you guys had a couple of labels no no no. we only had one label one major label it was on yeah, right. it was actually bgc which was going to be their new startup for their young band label and yeah by the second record that was already when they completely gutted the label of people because the japanese came in and bought it we had to fire Jimmy Iovine because David Geffen and Jimmy Iovine got into a fight because when Jimmy started Interscope Records, he wouldn't give um, all the publishing and distribution to, to, to David. So David was like going to teach him a lesson. So out of the blue, we get this phone call telling us that, oh, by the way, if your manager is now a record label in the state of California, that's illegal. You can't be a manager and a record distributor by California law. So Jimmy's either got to stop running Interscope Records or you have to fire him. <laughs> so I don't think he's going to stop running Interscope. No. And sure enough, we, we had a part ways and we brought on Herbie Herbert. And um, Herbie at the time, he came in, he met with the label, you know, it's okay, we got another record coming out. Let's see if we can 
you know, motivate the troops to get the label up. And, and he came back and he goes, remember I told you that it might be light at the end of the tunnel? I'm like, yeah. He goes, it's a freight train. It's not. <laughs> he goes, they have no intention of really promoting this. They want you guys to go away. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay. Where it goes. You know? Your album wasn't out. It was, I remember when your first one came out, how much you saw it in the stores. And then when the, I was waiting, guys, I liked it. I was waiting for the second one. It was just a video play and like, just, you know, anywhere. It was yeah, no, very, they, they wanted, very sparse, they, very sparse, that album. No, listen, I had a meeting when our option came there. I had a meeting with David Geffen and Eddie Rosenblatt, the president, and Tony Ferguson, our day-to-day manager, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and David goes, well, listen, you know, um, we're really not going to get behind this anymore. We're going to let you guys go. I'm not going to hold, I'm going to hold you, he points to me, I'm going to hold you to the key man clause. He goes, and because I can't have you guys, I know there's 10 of the labels that would sign you tomorrow. And I can't have you going over to Electra or Epic or Capital. And if they break you, it makes Geffen, my business, look bad. Now, I've had, I have a history of doing this with Don Henley and Neil Young. You know, I'll just put you on the shelf. And he, I remember the line. He goes, I, I collect artists like I collect my artwork. And if I want to put you on the shelf and just look at you every once in a while, that's what I might do. And that's what I do. It's like, asshole. (laughs) This is our lives, you know? I would have have just lost it there. Yeah, well, yeah, I pretty much did. (laughs) They pulled me out of there. Uh, yeah, I think it would have been that scene with you in like Terminator. Yeah, yeah. Look that's that's what I imagined happening, but the other way around. <laughs> yeah, looking for a pool cue. Yeah, that's right. That's uh, that's very frustrating. It's, it's ridiculous. That's like the worst. That's like a divorce court. That's like the worst. Got you by the taking your dog with you. Basically, like, it's like your best friend. I'm taking him with you. Yeah, letting your junkie ex-wife keep your kid, and you can't even see him. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. How do you take those clutches then? Because obviously you guys finally got to do some other albums. and Oh, I decided to get a nice heroin habit for seven years after that. <laughs> you, got, you got him. <laughs> yeah, I showed him. Showed him huh? I showed him a lesson. He'll regret this. Yeah, well, no, we broke we just, up. Yeah, we broke up. We just said, listen, if we can't go do this on another label, we all were just so burnt out by this whole saga and drama and we were a family we loved each other but it just caused a lot of scars for all of us mm-hmm. and then it was about seven or eight years later we just started you know just checking in on each other decided that we'd get together and just make music for fun and next thing you know we write some new songs and you know we put out what now four albums since then Laura redemption american dream it's a live one and then the live eight, one eight, and, eight, and, eight, and eight, eight. yeah so we've, yeah. we've done four releases since then all on our own all under our own steam and power and it's much better all, way to do they're it all strong they're all strong albums thank you yeah, they're them. just yeah. honest they're just fast honest records moments caught in time you know not overthought or overplayed or overproduced you know just straight ahead rock records you know was it hard coming back like with the audience was it with the audience there i mean you have a core audience yeah, we have a very loyal fan base. You know, our 15 minutes of fame brought us enough loyalty. And, you know, and then with the advent of the explosion of the internet, it allowed us to stay in contact with them. And, you know, so now we've got this small but loyal core audience that we just keep trying to grow and treat them with reverence and respect and just keep doing what we're doing. And, 
you know, when it, a lot of guys go online and they try to still make it appear like they're larger than life. And we're, we're not, we're just regular guys who just make music for passion. And we've made a lot of great friends and a lot of, you know, great markets and a lot of great relationships that we just year after year keep capitalizing on and hope that the word still, you know, listen, if you like ZZ Top, you like Guns N' Roses, you like that company, you like the Rolling Stones, you like Little Caesar. You know, yeah. and we're just trying to find the people that never in that 15 minutes found out about us and still connect to them, you know? No, the fans are still out there. They're still looking for, you know, enjoying their yeah. music. I, I think, yeah. you know, they're looking for good music. I, I think the other thing is nowadays you could probably claim and sell less albums, but we're having control of your own stuff now. You're oh, probably, yeah. No, we make more, more money now than we ever made. You know, we owe Geffen millions of dollars. So it was like now we just take up some seed money and with merch sales and revenue of small amount of cds we've seen more money flow through our pockets and to, to generate enough revenue to keep doing this for, i love hearing for that i love hearing that i love i love hearing that a lot of the bands from just from you have taken the battle through the 80s and the 90s you know a lot of the same things and they're coming on top and they're doing that you know that is a love yeah. story that is the better love story than titanic right that well, it is, is. And you know, listen, you know, you, we're not trying to make a living. This is, we just do this for passion, you know? Oh, and uh, it, it actually is incredibly freeing to be able to do that, you know? Yeah, but you make money, you make it funny, and you can have more creative power. You can put the money back into the show, into the instruments, into the song craft, you know what I mean? Yeah, it just we makes can it be easier to be to, to focus, that's all. Yeah, we you can know? be the masters of our own fate, you know, so it's nice. We did more touring than when we were on Geffen Records. We've been to Europe, what, eight times, Ron? Something like that? Something yeah, eight, eight, nine times. The UK yeah. a bunch of times. We started, you know, before COVID hit, we had a whole bunch of weekend runs in the States planned. Wow. How hard, is it there? How hard is it to get to, uh, to do tour, tour Europe as an American band? For us, it's really easy because we, we had a really, people got us over there. We, we had a, a real good, you know, uh, spark of interest and loyalty they're very loyal fans and they're very they, they love american blues-based music number one number two it's logistically a smaller area to to travel in uh you know you can do a show three four hours away it's a completely different fan base in a completely different country and in in states you know sometimes it's a one day two day drive well, uh, we have a really great touring company and a guy that we work with over there, Teenage Head Music, that mm -hmm. has a great uh, group of venues and promoters and just runs a great operation with backline and travel and accommodations. And we just turn ourselves over to him and we show up on the stages and every night's a great show and a great place. Well, I would consider really yourself lucky on that one because I hear some bands oh, yeah, going, totally. going from Europe over to U.S. is a nightmare, first off. Yes. Just like a five grand visa. Yeah. The that visa. Well. It is yeah. insane. And then they still taxing those guys, even when they're touring yep. to America. So it's like, it's, it's, it's pretty brutal. There should be some kind yeah. of artist. Switzerland be... is like that. We avoid Switzerland. The tour, yeah. the, the taxing and the tariffs. So you pull in and they count every t-shirt you pay a tax. Yeah. And so it's crushing for all those for the working bands that want to come over from Europe to here. You know, Brexit's yeah, going to uh, change things too, you know. Oh, I know. That I is going to be... It yeah, is well, it's, crushing. It's, it's funny because I hear from a lot of UK musicians who are going, well, you know, how do you say, well, listen, when we go to the UK, our agent over there, who's another agent, great mm -hmm. agent we have, Martin Jarvis, um, who's different in the UK market. But, you know, we got to get working papers and pay a 
you know, pay a, a fee, a, a, so they tax it. So now the EU musicians are going to do the same thing they do to us. So it, it's for some bands, it's, it makes it impossible. Yeah, it's going to be different. And, and you know, I don't know how how it's going to survive after this. <laughs> Yeah. Man, tell me about it. Between venues going out of business, you know, we'll talk about that when we talk about our streaming thing we're doing. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of great venues run by a lot of great people who are really suffering and are not going to make it. And that's just going to, you know, you dry up all those watering holes, man, and it's going to hurt the music and the bands, you know. So that's a bad thing. Um, just, what, you know. The ones that are open are going to charge more because they've lost money. They got to make it up. And there's going to be probably charges for cleaning and stuff, right? COVID cleaning or whatever. So, so the band's got to have get all new charges again, and, and everyone's going to be struggling to make money to make up for what they've lost. So, you know. Yeah, I, I have no idea what what the new reality is going to be. New models, you know. Be the really. new model, and and you know, and I. It's funny because I talked about this on social media right when this whole thing started, where. I can't see any big touring people like Live Nation or any of these, you know, how they're, you know, because of liabilities, not going to ask for a vaccination certificate. Mm-hmm. Um, and already they, they stated they're going to put the liabilities on the bands, you know, so bands are going to have to get insurance. I mean, it's just, it, it's just prohibitive and really restrictive. So. Well, I think if enough bands can't do it, their business is music, you know? There's only so much you can do yeah. before your bands can't work, you know? Yeah, I, I know. I don't, I don't know. It's going to be, you know, I'm still just figuring out how this whole internet music business works, let alone now it's going to happen with touring and COVID, so. Well, the business model is still pretty good, though. You guys are still being able to sell merch and do stuff, and that's, you know, the show like this is to kind of let people know you guys are doing stuff, and you can get your streaming thing coming up, too. Yeah, um, and, you know, the fact that we don't have as you know, because I, I know bands were still doing this for a living, and you know the, you know the first thing is is promoters aren't going to offer the guarantees they used to offer because it's so, you know, up in the air, and for these bands who need to book a bus or flights and all their crew and the hotels, they're not going to get that money up front. They're going to be rolling the dice, and most of them just can't afford to do that. So it's going to be real interesting to see. Start doing pre-sales on your Facebook pages and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> guarantee oh. some income coming in to you know. Yeah. To follow it up, I don't know. It's going to be a challenge. Um, it will be. So actually, so Lauren, so you're actually doing um speakers and uh, box and everything else in your other job. Um, no, I'm like artist relations. I'm sorry, but you were all working uh, with the speakers. I'm sorry. For uh, Cord USA, the distributor of Vox Blackstar. Um, I've been affiliated with Blackstar for like 12 years, helped them launch Blackstar Amps uh, in the U.S. and the U.K. So, yeah, it's, it's a great gig. I, my whole background after our second album ended, we got off the deal. I had to figure out how to get a real job to make some money because the rock and roll wasn't. So um, got into this side of things, working for music manufacturers, sales, marketing, and then it's ended up artist relations. Wise. And it's really cool now to um, work with new uh, emerging artists with both brands. Well, you're lucky to be able to switch over like that for the time. I was lucky. Ron Ron had a lot to do with it because he ended up getting a gig at this company called Groove Tubes. 
and said, hey, they're looking for a sales guy. And I had never really did sales before. And so we went and did our first NAMM show together. And I kind of went, wow, everybody from the music stores across the country and a lot of people at the uh, other music companies were all musicians. And I just thought, you know, this is this is good. So I, I just kind of stuck doing your, it. Your people. Very cool. Yeah. And so, Ron, what were you doing at that time? Heroin. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, pay for it. They don't give it away. Or were they giving it away for free? Yeah, no, I was, I was keeping the roll up in a ball of self pity. No, actually, I wound up finally getting my act together and got into music production, live music production. I was the production manager for a venue here in LA called the Key Club, which is used to be Guzari's. Yep. And a really great venue run by really great people. So I got to take all my experience, and you know, I was, I went to production school as well, and so I was a mixer sound mixer so i did monitors in front of house and then when the job opened up to just run the whole whole facility on the production side i did it i did that for like nine years and you know i had all these bands that i knew from touring and friends musicians rolling in and they're like oh so you're in so yeah yeah i'm running this i got you covered dude you know so you know it was really good times and a very creative outlet you know i, I like all the technical stuff and I have a penchant for it and a talent for it. So I just turned that into, you know, all of a sudden now I could like buy a house and put a down payment on a house and make mortgage payments. And you need like, to be a grown up. Wow, there's something to this regular gig thing and being sober, you know? There are. <laughs> yeah, congratulations on that. Um, you know, to skip over that quickly, but yeah, I think you. <laughs> yeah, no. Paying off that is, know, is, a, is a good thing. When it all crashed and burned, I rolled up into this big ball of self pity. And the problem is, is that you know, some of these chemicals have a component where you, you're physically addicted. Mm -hmm. And that takes a while. And it's a hard thing between the mental side and the physical side. So thank God, you know, got the right set of tools. And I had great guys like Lauren who lighten the way for me, you know, showing me how it's done. And finally just fixed all the parts of me that were broken. And then just, you know, got on this path of, being a responsible adult and controlling my feelings and controlling my fears. And it was great, man. You know, everything's been great ever since. And I, I wouldn't trade those miserable years for anything because I wouldn't be where I'm at if it wasn't for it, you know, so. It's excellent. I mean, you guys are really in a good space. You guys like mentally and just physically seem like you're really just on top. Healthy prospect of the band, you know, kind of fun, fun thing, you know? Yeah, we're having fun, man. We're on this, on this musical and spiritual journey, you know, of, being with a bunch of guys that, you know, we've, we've been friends and family for so long and we all come from the same place and we all have this reverence for what we do. And it, it's just this great little club that uh, rounds out our life really nicely. So it's great. So, uh, so one last question before we talk about the streaming thing, I like to ask, what are you guys doing during this COVID? Like everyone's got like a thing. Some people paint, some people cook. What are you guys doing? What's your thing you're doing during COVID to kind of kill time? Well, I, I built a house. I have a ranch, a horse ranch and an avocado farm. Wow. So I'm a farmer. I got my John Deere hat and driving my tractor. You're an overachiever, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, how the hell I got here in my life, I don't really know. But yeah, I grow avocados and pomegranates and limes. And uh, I've got horses, donkeys, pigs, cats, dogs, Jeez. fish. So, and that keeps me working seven days gonna, a week. Going to build your ark, right? For your animals. Yeah, exactly. Get ready for the flood. <laughs> but, uh, 
so yeah, that's thank God. I got 20 acres to hide out on, so uh, it, it keeps me busy 24 seven, and it allows me a sanctuary of safety. So it's great. That's awesome. What are you, Lauren? You know, I've just been uh, taking this whole COVID thing very serious. Um, I worked remote. Uh, learned the world of Zoom like everyone else in the world. Uh, so luckily the companies worked remote for months. I've started going back to the office now here in uh, LA, uh, the artist's office at Center Staging. But, um, you know, just tried to stay physically fit, you know, uh, and, you know, I've got two dogs and my wife and uh, my, my son like to go out. Not in that order. Not in that order, but <laughs> two dogs <laughs> yeah. and my wife, yeah. Um, you know, like, like back to getting a divorce and they're taking your dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like to just stay physically fit, going for walks, you know, kind of working routine out since the gyms are closed. Yeah. And, um, you know, bought uh, my Mac uh, in a Logic Pro system, actually learning how to, you know, do that kind of scene. Cause I've always been like record on my phone. So yep. taking the time to kind of get into Logic the last few months. So. Very cool. I mean, it's, it's, I like to talk about that because obviously, this we talk about you're a real band, and every other band is a real band. And, and and one of the things with Zoom now is, you know, everyone's talking about mental health, mental health. You know, so your fans are going to be like, looking up to you, being like, yeah, I did have a struggle, or it's always good, like, you know, I went through drugs and I, I fought this. It was hard. Life is hard. I have my own emotional, mental health issues. I mean, it's always good for people to see that, like, yeah, everybody goes through this, and you're not alone. Yeah. You know, and and we're all doing our own things to get through it. So there's no such thing as a rock star. There's just another person. Their job is music that you like. And they have the same thing. So don't put yourself down and kind of, you know, what do you need to get through and ask for help? Um, one thing with Zoom is actually this job I'm at now. They brought me in and they extended my contract as a contractor. I just started doing IT the past few years. They brought me in and I was the, I became the Zoom person. So I learned Zoom and I became the person in charge of Zoom. Like yeah. many months <laughs> and, and, and then, COVID, then, then COVID hit. <laughs> and Perfect. then the world of Zoom, all of a sudden everyone. Yeah. No, all so, of a sudden, man, ironically. That's, that's, the marketable skill that's in high demand. Yeah, it is. So, let's talk about the streaming. Anything else you guys got going on here? Yeah, well, we got. You know, this year is the 30th anniversary of our debut record, mm -hmm. and so we kind of talked about, you know, doing the whole record in its entirety. And then when the whole COVID thing came about, um, you know, it took us a while to kind of just get a handle on what this all meant how we could all be responsible and then how we could get together and protect each other and still safely mm -hmm. make music so um you know we've got a real we got like a family member who's a producer um, this guy bruce Whitkin, who's got a studio called munison studios here in la and it's where we rehearse it's where we record and so we're bringing in um, a company to help us do multi-camera multi-track um you know, live from the studio, recreation of the first record, you know. Um, and we're excited about it. You know, we get to stretch our wings and um, go into a real comfortable, intimate place, you know, and, and just do like from Daryl's house, except it's from Bruce's house. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, for us, uh, we haven't played some of them songs ever there's two or three songs after we really? recorded them like what oh that was it you know so we're really little queenie we never did yeah and some of the other ones we haven't done for 30 years 28 years or whatever you know yeah 
So, you know, when you have, your first when you have album seven there. albums, it's hard to play everything off each record. So, well, I mean, you, but it's your first album. You know, they say you, you have your whole life to make your first album, and then like what six months to make your second one. So I always feel like whoever yeah. did your first album that you guys have, those were those are the songs that you guys kind of did prior. Those were kind yeah, of yeah. There's a lot of stuff that was just staples in the set right. from the first record, and then there's the more obscure ones, and you know. So it, it's great. It, it's great to play some fresh stuff and take a fresh approach to. Who brought in, who brought in Chain of Fools into that cell? Actually, the, the, the interesting story about that is when we first put the band together, and I had this concept of trying to do this sort of hard rock based soul thing, mm-hmm. the way Paul Rogers would do Bad Company or Free, or, yeah. you know, um, we just picked a couple of songs to learn covers, and Chain of Fools is one of them. And we did it and tried to use it as a mission statement as to what the band was trying to do in a broader context. And it just stuck with us. In fact, we didn't even want to put it on the first record, let alone have it be the single. But again, John Kaladner, you know. um, So it just kind of stuck with us. It was just something we got together to noodle around on. And it just just stayed with us. See, I don't understand how that song came out for anybody to be anything different, any kind of like rock glam band after you did that song. And the image you guys had in the video, just even that, you, you polished up or not, you were not the same thing as a poison band. You know I mean, I think that already kind of kind of already drew your line in the sand with that song. You know? Yeah, you know, the interesting thing is we've been trying to live this now for, for 30 years. It's like, well, okay, we're from LA, but we're not like an LA band. We're not a sunset strip band. You know, we were much more comfortable playing with the punk bands and the thrash bands and the sleaze yep. bands over on the other side of Hollywood that were more based on Iggy and the Stooges and punk rock bands and blues sort of country cow punk bands, you know, but you had to go play up at Gazzari's and, and the Roxy to get a record deal. And yeah, we stood out like a sore thumb, but you know, at this point, this was, you know, we used to get phone calls from other prominent bands to rent our motorcycles for their videos because they want to look like bad boys. And I'm like, fuck off. You know, go learn how to ride and buy your own fucking bike. Don't ruin what I love to do, you know? But whatever. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Um, so this does this back to the streaming thing. Where's it gonna be? Like when you when you're gonna release it, where and how well it's gonna it? be it's gonna be live on Facebook and um, some other formats we're, we're working out because we we're lucky enough to get Black Star mm-hmm. to, to sponsor it. Um, along with Brave Words, um, the music website. Yep. Um, and we're doing it. Um, it's a, really a charity thing. We're trying to raise money for the Save Our Stages Excellent. cause. Mm-hmm. Um, so there'll be a big donation link up and all the money goes directly to them. Um, so we're just trying to, you know, we're trying to do some something that's positive, you know, goodwill kind of thing. And it's going to be on December 26th, the day after Christmas, Boxing Day, as they call it over in yep. the UK. Um, 12 o'clock on, um, on Pacific, 3 o'clock Eastern, and then 8 and 9 over in UK and Europe. Um, and it'll be concurrently posted all at the same time. And it's, it's going to be a fun, a fun thing. So exciting for a good cause. So thanks for a good cause. And we'll put the, also put that link if you want to give it to me below with your other stuff in here. So Great, people also want to connect to any of this, any of your stuff, the link, or also donate, put it all. Great below so appreciate it it's it's super important that you know all levels of music are supported you know musicians have have some of these these great venues man you know again if the tree falls in the forest 
but there isn't a forest for it to fall in doesn't make a sound you know so yeah. it's it's you know it's, it's a really rough thing we're going to make it we're going to survive but you know these venues man if they don't if they don't stay open where, where are we going to go play you, you know, know it is it's, it's where all uh, the bands where are the new bands going to get discovered it's, you know? it's the rock and roll ecosystem you know what happens when something happens to an ecosystem when somebody takes out part of it it you know crashes I mean? the whole right. thing crashes. it changes but you have like a little piece of it but it's like a big hole in it or you know things are different you know yeah it's or you're gonna meet some cool lizard people but that's gonna be something totally different yeah totally different we did a live streaming thing because we're doing the monsters of rock this year we're really grateful to get asked to do that and that looks like a lot of fun it looks like a lot of fun. And, terrified and of both so I don't think I can do it. They're great people that run it, and they're really passionate, and all the bands have a great time. So, you know, we were trying to get on it for years, and we finally got invited. And uh, so during the beginning, in this early days of COVID, they started to do streaming, live streaming concerts on their Monsters of Rock page. Mm-hmm. And we got to do one, and um, we take, took all the money we raised for that. We gave it to Music Cares for struggling yeah, very cool. Musicians having problems with drugs and alcohol because that's another big, big problem yeah, right and, now. Man. Yeah, and it's gonna be people, harder now because people you can't are really hurt. People. From the fans to just people in the streets to to you know guys and bands have had everything taken away from them. And you know, I, I kid around, but playing music is like an addiction. It's just a different form of drug for me, and I, I love it. And it it gives me things that nothing else in life gives me, and it's so important for me to do it. And I know just about every other musician I know feels the same way. And for them to lose all the ability, except for an acoustic guitar on Facebook, it just doesn't cut it for them. And and they've you know they've fallen into some deep ruts. So we're trying to help. help you know, we were trying to do something to help them pull out of that. I, I think probably that endorphin rush that they get from music. You know, most musicians are battling from some kind of depression or anything else. So that one rush being taken away is like oh, it's like the yeah, last drop. No, and with no hope in sight. I mean, things are looking better now. You know, um, that there's a plan. Uh, there might be some light at the end of the tunnel who knows when and look who knows how deep it's going to get before we get to that spot but yeah. you know uh it's something to look forward to but hanging on till then and what the outcome is going to be eventually and what's left i don't know you know so I'll tell you what though with all this time the bands have practice and write a good album everybody better have your best albums ready yeah but the issue is it's like us we're just kicking the rust off because I know, just you know we were all trying to be responsible and to get into a room like we're going to do, you know, that requires people getting really in each other's face. And we didn't want to risk getting each other ill, you know, so the testing and all that other stuff, how to be responsible. Um, you know, you think musicians would just say, screw it. But, you know, we get it. In fact, musicians know more about viral stuff because every musician I know gets sick on the road. They get the flu, yeah. they get cold. We've had to learn how to sanitize our hands and wear masks and, because you, you're meeting hundreds of people a night, you know? So we understand, you know, immunology and virology and infectious disease better than most, you know, so. Well, this has been fantastic. I want to thank you guys. Um, sure, thank you. And hopefully we get more stuff going on. I want you guys to come back. We'll talk some more. I got some more stuff going on. Yeah, or have some, some more news of some of the adventures we got coming up. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so we will oh, put this out. Sir. And um, I want to thank you guys. It's been awesome. Thank everyone you, check out the, Everyone check thank out the yeah, Check us and, out on Facebook, Little Caesar. Um, if you see a pizza, that's not us. It's the other one. I know. It's crazy. When I put that in, I'm like, that's not what I wanted. 
I mean, I do want a pizza, but that's not what I want too. It's, it's hysterical. Quickly, we, we, I get at least one to two emails a month of people complaining on our band page about how shitty their pizza was. <laughs> and I'm like, how could you look at our page and think this is the pizza company? That's hilarious. It's hysterical. Really I keep putting in little dominoes, but it's probably different. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Papa John's or Little John's. Or yeah. Those John's. Can't so. do him anymore. He got himself in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, thank you, Sean. I appreciate it's, it. You know, it's been great, you guys. It's good to see um, hear you guys too, especially now with the advent of the internet. And I, I want to rediscover you guys many years back again with it, iTunes, never, YouTube. I'm so happy to, to do it. Never too late to break a band. <laughs> no, no yeah. it's not. You're a musician. You're not. You know, it's for life. That's what you do. Yeah, you know? it's true. Yeah. You're always going to be a singer. You're always going to be a guitar player. That's what you do. Um, yeah. And we'll, you know, like said, all the links will be underneath, and um, we'll post it on. It's going to go on the 18th. Right, Friday eighteenth. Yeah. So great, thank you. Awesome guys. Have a great holiday. Yes. Stay safe. Great. Great. Same to you, man. Be well. Take care. Take care. Sure. Thanks.